We are diving in, and today I want to spend a few minutes as we continue this series, Imperfect Together. We kicked the series off last week, and we just really set this premise, this idea, if you missed it, jump online and, and check it out. But we, we said this, is that life is messy, that relationships are difficult, but the beautiful thing is that God loves to use us in spite of our brokenness. And, and let me just go ahead and let you know, I think it's obvious and we all recognize this, we're all broken in the room. All right, there's, there's no, no perfect Christians here. We're all messy. Our relationships are messy. I think sometimes, though, we're deceived because if you're like Jen and I and our family, we just post the good stuff on social media. I know you probably thought our family, we just take beautiful pictures. But really what we do is we take 500 pictures and we find one beautiful one. We, we have this thing, you know, it's kind of come a tradition because we know that our parents love pictures of the boys. And so just about every holiday season, we get pictures sometime in October, November. And I don't know how this experience is with your family, but this is one of the most joyous occasions of the year. Oh, yeah. I mean, we we uh, just we love each other. Joy's in the air. We just love smiling for minutes on end. My boys especially love it. And uh, we, we've gone through this so many times now that we figured out that we have to create some type of reward on the backside to get our boys to smile. And, and you're just hoping that we, after that 30-minute session, right, that there's going to be one or two good ones that you can send to all your family and friends. And, and I remember it was a few years back. This is one of our favorite family photos. We were at Bush Gardens one fall day, beautiful day, had, had a great time. Bush Gardens does a great job of this, but we were making our way around the park, getting ready to leave. And we made it to this spot where they had set up this just beautiful area that was, it was just set perfect for a family photo. And as we're making our way by, we said, we can't miss this moment. This is an Instagram moment right here. We've got to get our picture. And so we got there and we're taking our picture and the boys want nothing to do with it. And, and Caden's doing okay, but Ben is having a hard time. And every year we get to this memory, it was like, this is our favorite family photo. I actually, last night I told Ben, I said, Ben, I'm going to share this photo. I just want you to know, but I love you, but I'm sharing this photo because it's too good. We got the, the camera back, the phone back from the person taking our picture and we started scrolling through only to realize that this was the best one out of all the pictures right here. That's right. That's right. Everybody, that is the real Morris family right there, okay? I don't know what you thought about. Our, that's the real Morris family. So often, I think that we're chasing something that really doesn't exist. In our relationships, in our families, in our life, we're, ch- we're chasing, and it leaves us empty. Because we're chasing something that appears to be real, but really is, is, is not. And, and that's what this whole series, this idea is about, is we're imperfect together. How God wants to grow us, even in our weaknesses, in our struggles. And I love this theme, this main passage that we looked at last week that we'll use to set up today. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul writes this. And he's talking about a conversation that he had with God. And he says this, he says, each time God said to me, my grace is all you need. Hey, I don't know what you came for, what you need, but I just want to remind you this morning, God's grace is enough for you. 
It's enough for your marriage. It's enough for your kids, your, your work situations. My grace is all you need. My power works best. Everybody say the word in weakness. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul's saying this, as I've come to the place to realize, I tried and tried and tried and realized that me at my best is way worse than me at my worst with, with God's help. I would rather be weak and the strength of Christ rest in me than try to do this all on my own. The truth with relationships is that, man, when they are great, they are great. You know, when, when things are going well and smooth and life is happening, it's, it's just, oh, man, spring is in the air. The season is great. Our team's winning. Things are going well. But, man, when it all falls apart, sometimes it can be so hard to get that train back on the right track. Are you with me this morning? Some of you, some of you are there. You're walking through it right now. And, and I think so often, here's what happens. We deal with surface-level stuff. We try to fix our feelings. We try to fix our emotions. We never actually get to the root of the problem. Several years ago, we were on staff with my, my dad and serving at his church, and we had purchased a home over in Pinellas County. And I don't know if you've ever been like this, but you, you get in the home thinking you know everything about it, only to get in the home and realize there was stuff that you thought was all working right, but it ain't working right. It's always after you sign on the dotted line, right? And we found out this... This home had been vacant for a couple of years. The, the parents had passed away. The kids owned it and just kind of sat on it. And we ended up buying it only to find out in those first couple of months of living there that this home had major plumbing issues. There is nothing that will grow a marriage closer than water flowing inside the house, everybody. I just, it was a real bonding time for Jen and I. I'll never forget one Sunday afternoon, we came home from church and to be honest, Probably the most physically and emotionally low time for me is on Sunday afternoon. I'm completely depleted. I pour my heart in, in, into Sunday mornings. And we walked in the door of that house. We knew something was wrong. We made it back to our master bedroom. And there in the master bedroom was three inches of water completely across the bedroom. It was that moment that the presence of Jesus immediately left the room, everybody. All right. There was, <laughs> I don't know where the Lord was, but he was not in our home. We were giving each other looks. We grabbed buckets. We're shoveling buckets out the windows. And I was so frustrated. I called a guy from church. We had multiple times snaked the plumbing line and thought, okay, we've got it now. We've got it now. We've got it. And what could be the problem? We made our way out to the front yard and thought we had an idea of where the issue was. And me and a friend from church spent our Sunday afternoon, this is just a great afternoon, digging down to where this pipe was. Home was built in 1960. It was old Orangeburg pipe. We finally got down to the pipe, five feet or so. And there, about 10, 15 feet next to us was an oak tree. And what we realized when we got to the pipe is that the, the, the root from the oak tree had made its way, had wrapped around the pipe, and was inside the pipe. It was getting some good nourishment, I guess. I'm not sure what was going on, but... I tell you what, I called Nate. I mean, I said things at that root like I've never talked to anybody before. Man, I was chopping at it. I was so frustrated and mad, and we fixed it. But the reason I share that this morning is I think sometimes we spend so much of our energy and our time focusing on the surface, but we never really get to the root of our relationship issues. We never have the tough conversation that actually helps us take a step forward. We just think, oh, man, this will fix itself. 
Oh, it'll just work itself out. And today I want to spend a few minutes on I think one of the toughest areas of our relationships. And today I want to talk for a few minutes about crucial conversations. Are you ready this morning? I mean, let's have fun this morning, man. Go ahead and reach down and grab your boxing gloves underneath the chair and let's dive in this morning. Crucial, crucial conversations. They're these. It's a definition of discussion between two or more people where the stakes are high, um, opinions vary, and emotions run strong. A discussion between two or more people where the stakes are high, opinions vary, and emotions run strong. As, as we share that definition, and right now you're thinking about a crucial conversation you've had. Maybe it was on the way to church this morning or this week or a conversation that you know you need to have that you've been putting off for months or years. And I think this is one of the most difficult places because we want our relationships to be healthy, but we never want to have a conversation in a healthy way. And I believe this morning, God wants to speak to us. I'm going to just ask you right now, forget about what you're having for lunch, what's going on this week, but let's for the next 15, 20 minutes, let's dial into God's word. Let's look at, to set this up, a few of the conversations that probably many of us have had to have, probably need to have. A crucial conversation. Let me give you some examples. Number one, maybe ending a relationship. Man, that's a, that's a tough one. You, you walked through a season where you had to say no to a relationship that was harmful or painful in your life. Asking a friend to repay a loan. Oh, man. Crucial conversation right there. You avoided it like the play. A conversation where you need to address custody or visitation issues with an ex-spouse. Or maybe you've got to confront, uh, I'm sorry, maybe you need to deal with a, a rebellious kid in your home. Crucial conversation. Maybe for you, it's you need to confront a friend's addiction issue. How do you do that? How do you talk to them without, without blowing your relationship? Maybe you need to talk to a neighbor about their dog. <laughs> Quit pooping on my grass, all right? I, listen, we're done. But you don't have the conversation. All you do is just sit in your house and talk about your neighbor, right? You, you don't talk to them. You just talk about them. This isn't me. Maybe it's you. Definitely not me. You need to ask your in-laws to stop interfering. Oh, man. Woo, man. It's getting good in here this morning. How do you have the crucial conversation? I want to look at five words from God's word. Five words. As simple as this is, is so profound. And God can speak to us. Ephesians chapter four, Paul says this. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And one of John, Jesus' good friend John writes in John chapter one, when he talks about Jesus and he talks about his character, he, he talks about Jesus being full of grace and truth. When you start John, it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. When he uses word, he's talking about Jesus. And he says this in John 1, 14. It says, the word was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Speak the truth in love. Here's, here's the problem for us, everybody. Is that that's a difficult thing to do. Because most of us in the room, we lean really hard to one way or the other. Some of us in the room, we're 100% truth. 
Like we have no problem on a dime wearing somebody out and telling them how we feel and how they need to change their life. But then there's others of us in the room that we're so afraid about a relationship being broken that we'll just let, we'll, we'll just let somebody run their life right off a cliff because we just want to keep showing them grace. And we'll never be willing to have a tough conversation. We'll never be willing to speak the truth and let, we either love them or, or we truth them to death, but we, we haven't figured out how to love them with the truth. And here's the deal, everybody. Truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. I'm preaching way better than you're shouting this morning. But here, it, it, I'm for real, this is, this is something that's a struggle for me, and I know it's a struggle for all of us. But if we don't give them the truth, we're not helping them. And sometimes the way we give the truth is such a mean way that it never restores the relationship. And we settle so often for unhealthy communication in our relationships. Let's just be real this morning. We all, we all fight. We all struggle. Whether you believe it or not, even Jen and I fight, everybody. Matter of fact, we fought the other day. I had her on her hands and knees. She looked, she looked under the bed and said, get out from under there and fight like a man. That's right. <laughs> she did. But here, I think so often for us, we choose unhealthy ways of dealing with confrontation and, and dealing with conversation. And two of the most unhealthy ways are, number one, if you're taking notes, we get silent. Number two, we get violent. We get silent or we get violent. And let me ask you this morning, how's that working? How's it, how's it working? I'll be honest. The silent treatment is one of the, the biggest things that I battle with. I, no, I battle with both of them. Let me just go ahead and let it all out, right? I, I, ha, I haven't perfected the middle ground. I figured out a way, though, sometimes to hold my, withhold my love from Jen in a way that I know causes her pain. And when she's needing affection and needing words of encouragement and needing me to speak life into situations, I hold it knowing that it causes hurt. And there's been other seasons where I've lost control of my emotions and said things to her and talked maybe about her mama, too. No, I don't think I've ever done that, but I just said things in a way that caused pain. Oftentimes we get silent or we get violent. And when we get violent, the only thing that it produces is, is anxiety and anger in our relationships. One of, the, one of the greatest resources that we found when we were dealing just with a difficult patch in our marriage was a book by Leslie Vernick called The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. And she read it. Really, God opened her eyes while she was reading it, not about her, about me. And she said, Wes, read this. And, and I did. And God, God convicted me because I realized that things that I was justifying, my behavior and the way that I was withholding myself from her was causing her deep pain, causing her deep wounds. So often we, we use unhealthy ways to try to find healing, but it doesn't produce healing. I love what Proverbs eleven seventeen it says this, Look, this is so powerful. It says, you do yourself a favor when you are kind. Isn't that awesome? The wisest man that ever lived, he, he reminds us that, you know, often we, 
we're kind to people because of what it does for them. But he's saying, when you're kind, you're actually, you're benefiting yourself. He says, you do yourself a favor when you are kind. If you are cruel, you only hurt yourself. Here's the guiding thought for where we're going this morning. I'll give you six things and then we'll go. In any crucial conversation, the question that has to be asked is, is my motivation to help or is my motivation to hurt? Is it to help or is it to hurt? Before I had the conversation, I've got to ask myself, do I really believe the best in them and do I want to see them healed and me healed? Or am I just expressing myself because I want somebody else to feel the pain that I'm going through right now? Do I want, do I want healing or am I just trying to cause pain? I want to take us this morning to one of the most crucial conversations that Jesus ever has with somebody. And I'll kind of set this scene. We're going to John chapter 8. Jesus is making his way to the temple. And as he's getting there, he recognizes there's this crazy scene going down where the religious leaders have gathered stones and they found a woman who's committed adultery. They, they find her in the act of committing adultery and they're ready to stone her to death. Jesus walks up at the scene. I love the first question. He, he says, just to kind of like set the stage and level the playing field, he says, well, whoever, whoever doesn't have sin, go ahead and be the first to cast a stone. But what happens next is so beautiful because it paints a picture, everybody, of how we speak the truth in love. And I want to look at two or three verses, give us some take-home stuff, and then, and then we'll, we'll go. John 8, verse 10 and 11. He looked up and again said to her, after he was riding in the dirt, he looks up and he says, where did they all go? Talking about the religious leaders, the people ready to stone her. Where did they all go? Did no one judge you guilty? (coughs) She answered, no one, sir. Then Jesus said, look, this is so powerful, everybody. I don't judge you either. You can go now, but don't sin again. I don't judge you either, but go now and don't sin again. So profound. You know what Jesus does in one sentence? He gives her grace and says, I don't judge you. And then he gives her truth. Stop doing what you're doing. Here's why it's difficult. Because we live in a culture that just says, do whatever you want. As long as it's good for you, it's good. Everybody, that's sloppy agape, all right? That's, that's messy grace. That's messy grace. That's grace with no accountability. That's grace with no guideline. That's grace with no guidebook for how to live your life. That will lead you to ruin. Jesus gives her grace, but then he holds her accountable and says, hey, I don't condemn you. I don't charge you guilty. Change the way you're living. I think there's six things we can learn from this. Number one, if we're going to have crucial conversations, we got to make a decision to write it out. Write it out. Why write it out? Because it gives us time, number one, to pray about it. As as you're writing it out, it's amazing how your mood begins to change. And you go, you know what? Maybe, Maybe I shouldn't be talking bad about her mom. Maybe, you know, I'll take that back. I'll take that back. And as you write it out, God begins to change your heart. I don't know if you're like me. You've got an email folder of the emails that you wanted to send. 
but thank God you never press send, right? You just save them in a drafts folder and they make you feel better because you've written them, but you knew it wasn't best and it wouldn't, wouldn't have brought healing in that relationship. And sometimes writing, out, writing it out creates the space. It's just a little discipline that can bring huge change. I, I, I read a story recently that I thought was, was so good. And as I was building this message, it just tied perfectly in with, with this theme and this thought. Take you back in, in history. It was actually the night of July 4th, 1863, the Battle of Gettysburg. Abraham Lincoln's that the North is about to win the war and he sends a message via telegraph to General Meade. He hears that the North is really in a position to win because they've got General Lee in the South completely trapped. They've got the Potomac River behind them and the army in front of them. There's nothing they can do. And Abraham Lincoln sends a message that says, get on offense and go after it, win the battle. Well, later... General Meade sends a telegraph back to Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln, explaining all the reasons and excuses why he feels that now is not the time to attack. And as you can imagine, President Lincoln is overwhelmed with disappointment and frustration, and he writes this letter to his, his main general. He says this, my dear general, I do not believe you appreciate the magnitude of the misfortune involved in Lee's escape. He was within your easy grasp and to have closed upon him would in connection with the other late successes have ended the war. As it is, the war will be prolonged indefinitely. If you could not safely attack Lee last Monday, how can you possibly do so south of the river? When you can take with you very few more than two thirds of the force you had in hand. It would be unreasonable to expect, and I do not expect, you can now affect much. Your golden opportunity is gone, and I am distressed immeasurably because of it. What was Meade's response? We'll never know. Because the letter was found in Abraham Lincoln's desk after he died. He wrote the letter and I guess we'll have to assume what happened, but I can imagine that he wrote the letter. It actually said about Abraham Lincoln that it was one of his coping mechanisms, writing, writing letters. But maybe he was writing the letter and thought, you know what? There's something that I don't understand from the coziness of the White House that General Meade understands in the battlefield. Maybe I need to understand and think about the bloodshed that he's witnessed over the last week and how overwhelmed and terrified he is. Maybe there's something that he sees on the ground that I can't see here. And maybe I just need to have a little bit more compassion about where he's coming from. Maybe we need to make a decision before we react to situations to respond and write it out. Number two is this. If you're taking notes, we got to make honest judgments. This is so good, everybody. Make honest judgments without being judgmental. Make honest judgments without being Judgmental. We got to recognize that every day we're making judgments about everything, about where our kids are going to go to school, what we're going to eat, what's going on in our life, who we want our family to hang out with, the decisions about work. We're making honest judgment there. There's a big difference we got to understand between making honest judgments and being judgmental. 
being people filled with grace. I love what Dallas Willard said. He says, we must reign ourselves to hold people responsible for their failures without attacking their worth as human beings. We got to rein ourselves in and be careful not to attack people. Man, it it breaks my heart because I think this is one of the, the greatest dangers of social media is so often we are so good at hiding behind a phone screen and a computer screen. And we'll, we'll fight people over stuff and, and know that it's not gonna bring any resolution. All we're getting, everybody, is just a little dump, dopamine kick from fighting. That's really all that's happening. You're not gonna change it. When's the last time you changed somebody's opinion on Facebook? Never. And you'll say things behind a screen that you would never say face to face. Let's be people that are filled with grace, not walk in judgment, but, but, but love people and help them grow. Make honest judgments without being judgmental. Number three is this, discern if the person is ready. I think this is, this is a huge one because we've all been in situations where we've loved and cared about somebody and poured our heart out to them. And at the end, you realize, man, that, did, that didn't do a bit of good. They didn't care anything about what I said, even if your intentions were good. It just, it just makes me think about Jack Nicholson and a few good men. Man, you can't handle the truth. There's just some people in your life, they're not ready for it. And, and it's not even wise to engage in that conversation. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, he says, be careful, don't, don't cast your pearls before swine. Like know who, who the, the swine are and don't waste the energy there. I love the, the passion translation. He says this, who would hang earrings on a dog's ear or throw pearls in front of wild pigs? They'll only trample them under their feet and then turn around and tear you to pieces. God help us to know when and who is the right person to engage with. Henry Clout, great psychologist says this, fools don't change. They don't take correction. They don't take responsibility and don't adjust to the truth. Instead, they skew the facts and rewrite history to justify their behavior. We all know somebody like this, right? I mean, just keep your eyes faced this way. Don't turn, you know, don't be elbowing. You've got to recognize, and I think it takes a long time, because we've all tried to invest in somebody that you thought, man, that just, that, that didn't get anywhere. Like, recognize who the people in our life are and pour into them. Discern if the person is ready. Number four, I love this. Affirm the relationship, then speak the truth. Affirm the relationship, then speak the truth. The way Jen has communicated this to me in our marriage over the last 15 years is this. Wes, if you're going to tell me something bad, you better come with three good things before you tell me one bad thing. There's some about my outfit or my hair or anything about me that you don't like. Buddy, I better come with some good stuff on the front end because that one bad thing is not going to be received well. What she's saying is this. She's saying, affirm me before you speak into my life. Affirm our relationship. Let me know you love me before you correct me. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He says, I don't condemn you. You know, he could have showed up on the scene that day and in front of all those men ready to, to stone her. 
What were you thinking? What's wrong? You knew you were going to ruin your life? Probably like the way we've treated so many people in our lives. Just spoke the harsh truth and never had compassion for what they're going through. But he says this, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Proverbs 12 says this, anxious hearts are very heavy, but a word of encouragement does wonders. A word of encouragement. We have the power to speak life into people's situations, to bring hope, to remind them that we love them and care about them and help them grow in whatever they're going through. Number five, make sure it's the right time and place. Make sure it's the right time and place. One of the things I love about this story is that Jesus shows up on the scene and he doesn't say anything to her at first. He actually starts writing in the dirt and we'll never know. We've speculated what, what he was writing. We'll never know till we get to heaven, but it's interesting. He waits for all of the accusers to leave. It's almost as if he was saying, I don't want to throw any more shame or shade on you because you've had enough. I'm going to wait for the right time and right place. Our, our marriage counselor a year or so ago offered us some of the best encouragement that has, has, has really helped us. He said this, you got you to recognize that timing is so critical in your relationships when you talk about tough stuff. He says this, use the word halt. Halt. He said, you know it's, when it's a bad time to talk? When you're hungry. Oh, come on, can I get an amen in the room? Like, <laughs> we ain't fixing it right now until we eat. When I'm angry, when I'm lonely, and when I'm tired. Honestly, we, Jen, Jen and I got into something stupid the other night. It was, it was something so small and insignificant and went to bed talking about it and reached a point in the conversation where she she just said halt and when she did it triggered something in my mind and I realized Wes you're exhausted right now like you're not thinking clearly you're not going to bring resolution and you want your way so you know you're messed up right now and I slept on it woke up that morning did my devotions and God began to restore my heart God, help us. I, I, I'm sharing a good testimony. I'm not sharing all the bad stories, all right? There's been plenty of times where I've, where I've blown it. But God, help us to be people that recognize the timing, right time and right place to bring repair to our relationships. Amen? And number, number six, choose words carefully. Choose words carefully. Paul's encouragement. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And my prayer today is that God would let this word just sink in our spirit. It reminds us, man, to recognize the timing and recognize the, the place and know that we need to people, be people not just of truth, but be people of truth and grace. That everywhere we go, God wants to work and use us to speak life into somebody's life. I just want to invite you right now as we close. Why don't you just bow your head for a moment?